If you are looking for even more help and guidance on your breakup, I have a few different options for you to take your healing to the next level. I have four different online courses depending on what stage of the breakup that you're in from beginning all the way into moving on after heartbreak, or you can bundle all of my courses together and use the code podcast to get $25 off my course bundle. I also have my 30 day no contact challenge to help hold you accountable in going no contact with your ex. And we have our free Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with other people going through breakups all over the world. To learn more about any of these resources, head to the show notes where you can learn more about my courses, take the quiz to figure out which course is best for you, or join the Facebook group. And don't forget to use the code PODCAST to get $25 off my course bundle. Welcome to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast with your host, Breakup Bestie, aka me, Kendra. Breakups are hard, but you don't have to do it alone. Each week, I will be taking you through a different topic as it relates to breaking up, healing from heartbreak, growing in your single life, dating, and getting back into happier and healthier relationships. The goal of this show is to provide support, hope, tips, and to remind you that above all, this too shall pass. We are back with another expert episode of the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. And I wanted to bring today's expert on because I started getting a lot of questions on going through a breakup as as we get older. Is it harder? And yes, I definitely think it's harder. I think there's a lot more at stake when you go through a breakup as you get older. Mind you, older means so many different things to so many different people, depending on where you live, what your friend group's like. So whatever it means to you of getting older, that's what this episode will apply to. But I became aware of Lisa Cleary, who is a self-help writer. She focuses on relationships, breakups, mindset and goals. And she actually wrote a book called How to Survive a Breakup When All of Your Friends Are Birthing Their Second Child, which I know really resonates with with a lot of my audience. I not only hear, I'm, you know, I lost my chance, I'm this age, I'm done with love, or what am I supposed to do when I'm going through a breakup and all of my friends are getting married or having kids. So I talked to Lisa today about her experience going through a breakup into her 30s and like I said getting like older means different things to different people but we talk about her breakup experience what it was like in her friend group how she navigated that I ask her how do you get around the conversation topic of so are you dating anyone and kind of that awkward small talk that everyone likes to do and asks about your relationship status so we talk about how how to handle that. We talk about like this idea of how do you not lose hope when you're going through a situation like that. And I think it's just a reminder that I know it can feel like you're alone, especially when you don't see anyone else in your social circle going through a breakup. But this is just such a common topic and she does such a great job highlighting that. So I can't wait for you guys to hear more from Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Welcome to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. I am so excited to have you on today and have you talk about this very needed topic. 
Thank you for having me on. I'm really excited. And thanks for all that you do with your community. Yeah. Well, I was telling Lisa before we got started that, and this is always how it works out. I'll like start thinking, I need this topic. And then I'll start getting a lot of messages about a certain topic. And then it's like, then you showed up. So it was totally perfect. So if you could just kind of briefly tell us about you, I'm very interested in how you got to where you are. I mean, obviously we're talking about breakups. I know a breakup is a big part of your story. Yeah. So I'm a self-help writer. I am an author and I contribute to different media outlets. And along the way, I went through a breakup. And so it was a little ironic because here I am writing about ways to meditate or how to cut calories or how to kind of be a better person. And so I felt like when I went through a breakup and it was at the age of 31 years old, I felt, who am I to be giving advice to people about relationships or about how to communicate better with partners or with their friends? And at the time, again, I was 31. I'd never been married. I didn't have kids. And I also went through a layoff, so I lost my job, and I had to move out of my shared apartment, and I went through two moves, and that all happened in three months. So I went from being a self-help writer, and I still am, to not having anywhere to live, not having a job, not having a relationship. And so that made me think, something doesn't feel right with the messages that I'm trying to write, that I'm trying to share. Because a lot of times we're writing on how to be that perfectly happy person. And that is not realistic. That's not life. And so at that time, I shifted my writing to write about the things people really need to hear about, which is the tough parts. How do you get through problems? How do you get through a breakup or a layoff? And that's more of what we, especially women, need to hear. And so I shifted my writing to talk about pitfalls and talk about how it's okay to be sad. And so that brings me here to my writing. It's more of a tough love, self-help, not the toxic positivity that we hear that's like, when you're sad, put on a song and dance. And certainly we all need to do that. We all need to find joy in life, but we also need to get through the tough parts in life. And so that's why I do what I do, why I'm here. And I do want to talk about breakups, especially having gone through my own, and I put in air quotes, an older age, at least when it seems like a lot of people are getting married or settling down or having kids. And I wanted to speak to women and say, hey, if you're like me, you're not alone. I've been there. And it's not the worst thing in the world, even though it seems like other people are in other areas of their life. And I wanted to share how I got through mine and what it's like when your friends have, you know, two or four kids and when you feel alone, that that's okay. I think that's so important. And even just thinking back to like, I think there's been a big shift in the self-help space. Like, I think we still have a long way to go in a lot of things, but I'm sure like if you remember like, you know, 15 years ago, picking up Cosmo, like the articles and like the headlines that were popping up there, 
like we look at them now and we're like, this is ridiculous. You know, like they don't have any substance. It's like so surface level. And now getting to see people like you who are writing to like normalize things. I think like the biggest block that prevents us from healing or talking about things or working through things is thinking that we're the only person in the world going through that. And even if logically we know that there's probably other people who are single in their thirties, it can still can feel so isolating. So I think the work that you do is, is so important in that way. Well, I appreciate it. I think my biggest mission is again, to make people feel like they're not alone, but also make people laugh. If you can't laugh when you go through a problem, if you can't say, is this the worst thing in the world? No, it's not. Let me be sad, but let me also laugh at myself. Let me be self-deprecating. Along the way, I want people to laugh at me. And if you can't entertain, you certainly can't help people. So I also try to do that because no one wants to, you know, get stuck in self-pity. But at the same time, it's okay to feel sorry for yourself. I feel sorry for myself multiple times a day. I think we all do. We're human. Uh, But I get through it and I laugh at myself and I keep going and I learn from it. So, and there is like, yeah, well, it's even like, I was just answering a question on Instagram and it, they said like, how do I kind of make sense of like negative in quotes, like negative dating experiences. And I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I have them. They're like, they make such good stories now. And it's like, like if there's no like arc to your life where like there's some down parts, there's some up parts, Life would be so boring. We wouldn't be able to appreciate the good parts and we wouldn't have these like, you know, I don't think you're ever at a dinner party and people are like, tell us a great date story. It's like, no, like tell me your worst dating story. Like tell me a nightmare story. So I think there is a lot of value. Obviously once it doesn't sting so much, but I think there's a lot of value in that. And I'm sure along the way of your journey, you've been able to talk to so many women. And I was just wanted to ask like from your experience and then from probably all these women that you've spoken to, like what's the consensus of what makes a breakup harder, let's say after 30? So I have multiple answers to this question, (laughs) just having gone through it. But I think breakups are hard when you get older because you have more responsibilities. So you still have to show up and face the world. You have to go through even more pressure uh, through your job. You have to attend more couple driven events or you have to be in them. I mean, I've been in uh, nine weddings as a bridesmaid and that's very tough when you're going through a breakup and you have to pay your bills by yourself this time instead of having a joint salary. And people have less time. I think that's the thing, it's time in the day. People have less time to give you, to support you. And you have kind of less time to give to yourself to really process your emotions when you're running through the day. I think the toughest thing is, is also to be candid is when you go through a breakup in your thirties, oftentimes you're living with that person because when you're older, it makes more sense again, because you have less time. So you can share more time. You can be more with that person living together. And so it was tough for me because I had to move out and I write about this in my book. It was 
almost equally as tough to give up my really nice shared living space, my nice apartment. It sounds very spoiled, but to give up that, to give up my parking, the amenities, et cetera. And now I'm living on a single salary and I had to move into the basement of a crappy apartment. But I was able to do that and I was really fortunate. And at the same time, I had a friend going through a divorce and she had to sell her her home and like me, live in the basement of an apartment complex. And that was tough, but at the same time, it was transitionary. I know you had to keep in mind that that wasn't permanent and that I was lucky to be able to be able to live alone or to be able to live with roommates. That was just the needed step in my life. And so I think that was the other, the other tough part. And so I do speak on for women to give yourself room to learn about your finances, to be financially intelligent, to be financially illiterate. At that time, I had a lot of learning and a learning curve that I had to quickly come up to speed on. So for me, it was just having everything all at once that I needed to take care of. And that was tough, but I got through it and I learned it. I'm still able to apply those uh, lessons to where I am today is looking at the bills, looking at what my expenses are, are going out, being more grateful for where I live and less wasteful as well. So while that was hard, um, it was beneficial to me today. I actually, I'm not going to lie. I've honestly never really thought about like breakups as you're older in through that frame. I think, you know, this is probably like, you know, just small thinking, but I think a lot of people just think of it in terms of like, biological clock. And like, we think about all these things, but wouldn't even have thought about it like that where it is. It's like, when you go through a breakup, when you're older, there's so much more at stake because I think as you get older, your relationships become so much more intertwined with your life. As you get older, you do move in together. You guys do make like financial decisions about leasing a car and like, just, there's just so many more things at stake. And then you brought up another really good point with not only are so many things couples driven to the point where like, I've had friends that, you know, will not go on trips. Cause, and I get it. It's like, they don't want to be the only single person going on this vacation with a bunch of couples. Plus friends don't have as much, as much time. So I think that's an important point too, is like when we're 20, our friends will drop anything and come over and stay with us for like days at a time. But now people have jobs and families and like all of these things. So I love what you said about kind of empowering yourself through like financial wellness in that way. Just to touch on this point more, what do you recommend to people who are faced with that, where they want help and support and company from their friends, but they find that their friends don't have time for them? So for me, it was hard because I felt really sorry for myself. And when I personally go through tough times, I kind of shut down. And it was hard for me to, I would say, reach out to your friends and let them know that you need them. But that's not what I did. That's the easy answer. So it's a tough question. I think for me, I retreated, but when I needed people, I did what I wanted them to do, which is just a simple check-in. And I think that that works both ways. A check-in, be it a text, 
not necessarily on social media, because come on, who wants to have a check-in when, you know, all of your digital friends can see, but a private check-in can go a long way both ways. Checking in on your friend who's gone through a breakup or checking in on a friend when you need someone. And that simple conversation, it really means a lot. And oftentimes we'll get stuck in listening to what another person says, but then talk about ourselves. And so just really having a conversation where you focus on that friend, where you focus. And for me, we'd ask questions about events that were coming out with friends who have families or with their kids. And oftentimes you'll notice that people are intelligent enough to reciprocate that or to have you know, that two-way dialogue. And that's what I needed. And that's certainly something that I can improve upon even now, years later. And so just words go a long way. Yeah. For sure. I love that you said that too, because I think it's a very common feeling to like, feel like your emotions are a burden on other people. But I'm glad you said that because I have found for me is when I'm just in this mode of like seeking to take from my friends, meaning like I'm expecting a lot of support and stuff from them. I think I end up feeling guilty because I feel like I'm not being the best friend, but like by me just simply asking like, Hey, how was your weekend? that way it's like, they're going to ask how my weekend is and I can, I'll have my time to say something. But I think, I think to have good friends, you have to be a good friend. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, the toughest part going through a breakup, at least for me, is you get so involved in that other person. You get so involved in different couples' experiences or using that person as your sounding board, using that person to talk about your problems, your updates. And it's natural then to pull back because you're busier, especially, like I said, as you're older, you have more complicated emotions, you have more complicated problems or even highlights in life. And you share that the emotional depth with someone is deeper. So for me, I wasn't reaching out as much to a lot of my friends and I certainly need to improve upon that. And when I expected everyone to come rushing at me and, you know, like a kumbaya circle. Well, it didn't happen because I wasn't someone who was always reciprocating that kind of check-in. And that happens. It's not that I wasn't a bad person. I mean, certainly we all get caught up, but it just shows you that a little can go a long way. Maybe it's a friend that you haven't talked to in a couple of years, just a simple check-in or a Facebook like. If you don't want to ask or send a text, you know, liking that post, that goes a long way. And so for me, having gone through, you know, a pretty traumatic breakup at that time, it made me rethink that when I'm in that next relationship or when I'm, you know, emotionally fulfilled by a different person in the future, I don't want to pull back from my friends. I don't want to put all of my energy into one person. That's not rewarding to me. I want to have a fulfilling life in many other aspects. And so that's why a breakup, it was hard, it stung, but I also learned I need to have other aspects of my life that fulfill me, that I can be a, a good person and a better person in, and not just in one person, because that's not healthy for any one of us. I think we all have to have that experience where we 
pull back from our friends. And I just have found that like pretty much whatever I put in front of my friends or I mean, just whatever I put in front of my personal values, which friendship is a very important value to me, I typically will end up losing essentially. Like if I put something like ahead of what's what most important to me. And I think I would be remiss not to ask you about how did you feel about your friends? Like, did you have resentment? Was there jealousy? Like when you said you were in nine weddings, like, and going through a breakup, how did you deal with those feelings? Yeah. So that's again, a good question. And I write about this in my book because again, when you're older and I keep saying this in air quotes because of the emphasis of age and just to kind of like explain myself a little bit, I feel like in society today that women are, are pushed, especially by the self-help industry to hit milestones. So I call this the toxic milestone mentality where we feel like we have to hit marriage. We have to hit children. We have to hit having kids and the perfect Pinterest home and the next promotion and the awesome vacation. And so my thing is no matter where you are in life, if you keep chasing that, if you keep feeling like you need to be fulfilled or happy to get that, it'll never stop. You'll never be fulfilled. You'll never be happy because you won't have that, that moment of pause to be appreciative of what you've got. And that's hard because we're always told to work harder and to be better. And that's something that certainly I struggle with balancing. So with that said, I definitely envied my friends and I felt guilty doing it. But again, they had at that time what I thought were components of happiness. And I now know that you can be happy in many other aspects of life. But then I did resent them. And I wanted to, I think, come home to a full house, come home to like, you know, to warmth. And I would come home after work and not have that sounding board to talk to. And that was very difficult, you know, have tons of free time. And I filled it at that time by just kind of sinking into my couch or trying to sleep in. And, and that was okay at the time. That's how I handled it. And there were other times when friends you know, some, I will say a handful, not even that, maybe one or two were, you know, a bit smug about, I have the relationship, I have it, you know, I'm glad, you know, she doesn't have that. And I, and I felt that. And then there were others who talked about, you know, just topics that maybe I would say relationship overkill or marriage overkill. And that was hard or, just things like that. But that was less on them. That was more on me at the time, being really sensitive to discussions around marriage or getting married or getting engaged. And at one point I talked to one of my friends, my sorority sister, and I said, you know, so-and-so just seems so smug. We got together. She knows that I got out of a breakup and she's consistently talking about her engagement, consistently talking about this or that. And she said to me, you know, she definitely could use a little more sensitivity, but, you know, at least you were that. You were that smug individual in a relationship at some point. You know, you didn't always ask me about what I was going through when I was single. And I was the third wheel 
oftentimes when I needed girls nights. And so that was just a wake up call for me that not everyone intends to be malicious and you can resent your friends, but also your actions go both ways. So no one's perfect. So you can't really uh, point fingers in that capacity. And we're just all trying to do the best we can and be and be human. So that's what I took away from that too. And yeah. sometimes I did reframe the conversations. I mean, there was this one time and I've written about it, but I had a group of friends and they all raised their glasses at dinner and I had just gotten out of my breakup and they said, cheers to being 30 and married. And oh, no. I was just like, yeah. So I do like, you're doing like the face, like yeah, the face palm palm. on the forehead. I was like, this is not someone that I maybe want to align myself with. It didn't feel good. It didn't make me feel good. And I thought, okay, I need to find people with uh, different commonalities. Cause at that point, that group was like the Romeo Michelle's high school reunion <laughs> where you have like the group of girls who, who make others feel bad for having different accomplishments or different ones or different stages of life. And so I did kind of pull back from that crowd and tried to find people a little bit more empathetic and a little bit more of a commonality. So it's like, you know, more commonalities with me. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you do if you had unlimited time and energy? As you're navigating your breakup, I know your energy can feel low and it can feel really difficult to complete everything you need to in a day. When you're emotionally exhausted, it's especially important to be really clear on what your priorities are and where your energy should be invested. Therapy has helped me in the past figuring out where I should be putting my energy, whether that's career, friendships, relationships, events, which in turn has helped lower my anxiety because I don't always have to feel stretched thin or behind. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash heartbreak today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash heartbreak. Are you looking for a guilt-free way to unwind? Between balancing your breakup, work, and just functioning in your day-to-day -day life, I know you are under a lot of stress. Breakups mess with your nervous system, cause obsessive thoughts, and make it so hard to just sit with yourself. This is why it's so important to have rituals that allow you to treat yourself in a healthy way. And this is why I love Recess Mood, a sparkling water infused with functional ingredients like stress-balancing adaptogens and mood-lifting magnesium. Life has been very full and stressful for me lately, and as someone who hasn't had alcohol in 11 years, I need something that helps me relax and that can bring me a moment of peace. Lately, my favorite way to do that is sitting on the couch after I put my kids to bed and having either the strawberry rose or the lime recess mood. They not only make me feel good, but they also taste incredible too. So whether you're looking for a healthier alternative to alcohol or a way to make you feel more balanced, you deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash heartbreak and get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. 
Expires April 30th. One-time use only, not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5hourenergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. I think it's interesting. I think there's like this delicate balance of friends who are like getting married and then friends going through a breakup. Like I specifically remember my best friend got engaged a month to the day after I got dumped and I was so happy for her, but also like, yeah, it stings. And I remember her calling me and saying, are you okay? And you know, it's like such a bummer. Cause I'm like, I don't want you to have to think about me like one of the happier days of your life. So it's almost like you don't want to be treated differently, but like you kind of do want to be treated differently. Like you want people to be sensitive, but then you also don't want people to bring focus to the fact that you're single while other people are in a relationship. So it is like kind of this weird balance. And, and I love that, like, you can be resentful and be happy. It's like, you can be resentful and still show up for your friend. Like you can go to a wedding, go to a party and show up for a friend and and have some jealousy and resentment in the background. But it's more about like what you said, it's like more about how you act. Yeah. And, you know, one of my best friends from college, she was literally going to pop or she was due only a, a week or two out. And when I moved into my apartment, she knew it was really hard for me. So she drove and then came waddling in with housewarming gifts and with wine. My other thing is as friends, well, how do you need support from friends or how can you support friends? And so one thing that I'll write on is show up to the bad times too. It's so important. We forget the bad times. So I'll say RSVP, I can't send out, say the dates and I wrote about this is explaining we have to change some of this. We have to RSVP when you go through breakups, when you go through divorces, you can't always send, say the dates, you can't always send, you know, wedding invitations to those, but those are equally as important and you can grow just as much from walking away from a bad relationship. And that's also why I wrote my book is because we don't always celebrate that. It's always how to bounce back from a breakup, how to find your next boyfriend, how to land, you know, your partner. But what about celebrating like you ended the relationship? That is an achievement in and of itself. And so when she brought over wine and gifts, uh, which wasn't necessary, it was like, you know what? I'm proud of myself. And I want others to be proud of them for having gone through a breakup and not just sit in self-pity and not sit in tears. And although that's a component of it, uh, be proud of yourself. And so I wrote about the steps of kind of going through that, just laying on the couch, but then being proud of myself, recognizing my friends who are supporting me and recognizing those who aren't and being like, you know, I need to shift my focus on who I message to hang out with. I want to hang out with the people who, you know, like my friend, Rachel, who come over and show up for that or who check in, not just for the good stuff. The good stuff is very pretty to celebrate, but we have to reach out to those who, you know, go through that layoff or who go through, you know, other things, other pitfalls for sure. And like, speaking of, you know, if we're talking about like kind of social settings, I mean, I know there's like a big, it's kind of like, when you're at a party, it's like, people always want to ask, like, what do you do for work? And then like, 
you know, are you married? Do you have kids? It's like, I think it's a very like unfortunate part of like society. Cause I know in, in the past, like when I've been going through a breakup, that's like, a, I don't love small talk. Cause like, that's going to be brought up if I'm not happy with my job or like I'm unemployed, don't love doing that. Cause then, you know, people say, what do you do? I know you talk about it. Like, how do you kind of shift those kinds of conversations? If I know family does this a lot, like family likes to pressure us, you know? So how do you kind of navigate those kind of conversations where someone asks, Oh, are you dating? Like, it's like, you don't feel great that you're not. Yeah. So I laugh because the toughest part for me is getting asked that in the workplace. And I find that so bizarre because a lot, it's not necessarily the men, it's the women who ask that. So I always found that curious because we want to support each other, but at the same time, we're also feeding into that, you know, the toxic milestone mentality as in kind of, are you complete, so to speak? So when I've been asked that in the workplace, that's been difficult because certainly I take my career, you know, it's important and it's not something I wanted to necessarily talk about, but, you know, here I am writing on breakups and spilling my guts to the world. So that certainly I got over that quickly, but I would just say, no, I'm not. And I didn't feel like I needed to shift the conversation. I would just let it be as awkward as the question was and project that or to kind of deflect that back onto that person. And if it was more innocent, then I'll just say no. And that's when you can reshift that conversation. I'm more extroverted, so I'm able to do that easily. I'd certainly sympathize for those who are not extroverted and kind of you know, maybe retreat from that question, but it's okay to say no and leave it at that. And so, yeah. you know, reshift the combo or just say no, and people will be emotionally intelligent enough to know this question made that person uncomfortable. And if they keep pressing, then, you know, their intentions are not good. And so from there, how can you minimize your interactions with that person? So I certainly have had to do that. With regards to friends, I'm a pretty private person, even though I write about a lot of personal things. I write about things that have happened to me in the past when I've had time to process it. So for me, it was just safe to say, no, not at the moment. Because if I were dating someone at the time, and if it didn't work out, especially with online dating, you never know. I didn't want to have to answer up to why it didn't work out. Because there's always the next curious question. Oh, well, what happened? And those are questions that I've stopped asking to friends because I realized how much they kind of didn't make me feel good. So with friends, that's the safe answer. And so they pretty much assumed that I didn't date for several years, but I just left it at that. (laughs) (laughs) I was the worst. I literally used to tell people like after one date, like, oh, I'm seeing someone. They'd be like, what happened? And I'm like, nothing happened. (laughs) You know, (laughs) nothing came of it. I think that can be really smart. And I think too, like, have you ever had to experience, I know people probably have to do this more around family, but like drawing boundaries with family, like, you know, that's not a topic I want to talk about. That's not a topic I'm comfortable being asked about. Like, I think sometimes I know it's hard in like the workplace and stuff, but I think with people that 
you see on a regular basis, whether it's like grandma or aunt or whatever, it's like, you're allowed to say, I don't want to talk about that. For sure. With my family, I mean, fortunately, I not had to experience that because they don't ask me about that. Conversely, my dad would say, like, Lisa, please just give someone a chance. So it wasn't like more intrusive questions. It was more like pleading, like, you know, I'm your father. I want you to have, you know, a partner or, or I just would feel better knowing that you have a support in life. And so I didn't experience that. And then I have two brothers, so they weren't really interested in that component of my life. Yeah. I think for family though, I think my biggest thing is life is so much easier when you can learn how to state boundaries in a kind way or in a humorous way. So you're don't have to go out. You don't have to beat those questions down because, you know, people are going to be like, mm, like, and not know what to say. So I think in a very kind way that you can still say, no, I'm not. Or those questions always, you know, like, you know, Aunt Jenna, when you ask me, those questions always make me feel bad because I feel like I should be, and I'm really happy not, or, you know, talk about something else that you're doing. And I think people, again, equate happiness with milestones. So a lot of times, if I haven't talked to a friend in a while, or a coworker, and now, you know, as things are opening back up, you're, you're seeing people you haven't seen in a while, you can just say, hey, what's up? What's new? What have you been doing lately? And those kind of questions, like kind of teach people the questions that you want them to ask you by doing the same or, you know, Hey, how's your dog doing? You know, at the time, a lot of people know that I'm completely obsessed with my dog. He has an entire chapter devoted to him. I definitely dedicated my book to my dog and to our, all of our family dogs. Cause we are a crazy dog family, my parents and my brothers and so people would ask that about me because they knew that that made me happy. And so asking questions like that help. Maybe if you ask a family member um, questions about their hobbies or things like that, that will teach them in turn what's appropriate or how conversations can go a little bit deeper. And we need to work on that in general because everything can be superficial, especially like, you know, on Facebook or Instagram with emoticons. There are times when I certainly wish I had like an emoticon sign in real life where I could yeah. just put like the thumbs down in front yeah. of someone's face. But that was kind of, that's my nice way. That's my <laughs> polite way of giving them the thumbs down. Like, like mm, reshift that combo. Yeah. So that's how I handled it. Yeah. Boundaries don't have to be like, they don't have to be mean. They don't have to be harsh. It's a lot of it is just like your actions teach other people. So I love that like whole mirroring thing of ask family members certain questions and that's how they'll learn how to talk to you. The one thing that I definitely wanted to ask you was, I just hear this so often and mind you, I'm talking to people who are like fresh, 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 fresh out of a breakup. How did you maintain a sense of hope that like, not to be like dramatic, but like not all hope was lost kind of a thing. Like, I think a lot of people are like, okay, if I break up in my mid thirties, late thirties, forties, like I'm done. Like I'm totally done. I have no more chances. So how did you 
make sure to not like to at least maintain like a sense of like faith and optimism in that regard. Well, I was certainly one of those people that was like, I'm done. And this is coming from a self-help writer. And so it was literally, if I could have slammed my laptop shut to life, I did that. And I wrote about that where I just sat on my couch and I felt sorry for myself and that was okay. So I think in terms of maintaining hope, well, it's unrealistic to think that you're not going to be sad. That's being human. And no one wants to be sad all the time. But also when we feel a certain guilt, when we experience emotions that aren't like an aesthetic high or what we see on Facebook and nobody is posting their down days or their messes per se on Instagram. But the ones where it's like the behind the scenes or what it looks like in real life. Those are the ones that we laugh at more that entertain us more. So I think with maintaining hope, it's just to recognize that we're all going through some sort of difficulty at one point or the other. It could be divorces. It could be custody issues. It could be financial issues. It could be health problems. So we're not all immune to that. So just remember that everybody is going through something in one way or the other. And if someone's not, and they live a very perfect curated world, then they're extremely lucky. We should be happy for them. You also have to question, is that completely authentic? I don't know, but that's none of our concern. But in terms of hope, it's okay to be sad. And for me, my mom had said this to me because I was like, nope, bye world. And I just sat I didn't interact with friends. I didn't go out. Friends checked in. I gave one word answers because I had to process what I went through. And my mom said, you know, if you're single, is that the worst thing in life? Is it? And I thought, well, no. And she said, you have a lot going for you. And she said, you know, you need to kind of reevaluate and reprioritize. And so I would say to people going through that to allow yourself to be sad, but also consider when you're ready and, you know, no one's going to go on a weight loss journey when you're not ready. And so that's what I compare going through a breakup as, but when you're ready and it will come, I encourage you to write down a list of goals and prioritize what gets you motivated. It doesn't have to be something like insane, like run a marathon. I'm not even going to run a 5k. So that would never be on my list of goals, but mine was to write. And that's how I started writing my book about breakups is because I enjoyed coming home from work. I needed to fill the time in the evening because I didn't know what to do with myself. And I cooked, which is something that I enjoyed doing. And I wrote and that gave me hope because that fulfilled me in other ways. And also the thing to keep in mind is you're likely never going to have this time alone ever again. Now, certainly you can, you may go through another breakup, but I kept that in the forefront of my mind because I knew as a 30 something, as someone who's busy with work, I'm not going to have this time to write. And I started looking at that time. I started looking at my weekends as a luxury, as something that I could devote to a project. For me, what motivates me is working, is writing. And during the time 
when I was going through and healing from my breakup, that's when I wrote my book. I probably couldn't be doing that, you know, now per se, but that enabled me to do that. Something else that I did do to help me get into a routine was I adopted a rescue dog. So I always say adopt, don't shop. And I'm not advocating that people go out and get a dog, but that helped me. That's something that I wanted. And that helped me get into a routine is to come home and look forward to something to walk that dog, to feed it. So something that will keep you on a routine is helpful. So maybe that is a workout group. Maybe you're one of those weird people who like getting up at 5 a.m. to take a spin class. Then do that because that's going to help you keep yourself into a routine. But for me, mine would probably be like a painting class or a happy hour. I'll be real, like a wine, you know, something like (laughs) that. But also to date, once you're ready for me, I date it. And I mean, dating can definitely be a bit draining, but like I've been on it all. I've been on Tinder. I didn't really care for that. Been on Bumble. I tried eHarmony. I did Match.com. I was like, well, what's next? It's not working for me. But you know, at the end of the day, it was me. I did. I wasn't ready to date. And I learned that. But when I was ready to date, when I started dating seriously, I didn't go overboard on it. I went on dates once or twice a week. And that's all that I did. I didn't want to do any more because I wanted to kind of round out my life a little bit better. And that gave me hope. Because even though dating in the online world is very finicky and very fickle, and I've certainly learned that the hard way too, it also shows you that there's a lot of people out there who are good. And I'm not saying to rush out there and, you know, go on dates with everyone. You definitely had to screen or vet it, especially as a woman. But that's something that made me a little bit hopeful, not for a relationship, but just that there are other people out there and that helped me too. I love the point that you bring up about like, you'll never like, it's rare that you'll have that time again. I remember I had a mentor when I was single saying like, enjoy this because at some point, like you, I promise you're going to miss it. Having your own space and having like no one to answer to. And, and someone asked the other day, like, what are some like advantages to being single in your thirties and like, not necessarily something I can speak to, but what I can imagine is like, I loved being single. I thought it was so much fun, invested so much time into my friends. I traveled and I just am like, I imagine doing that in like later years and I'd have more money. <laughs> like I'd have more finance, like I have more financial freedom. I would, you know, probably go on better trips. Like what are some advantages you see and being single older? Well, definitely being able to work on, and I would say, you know, whatever passion project that it is. And for me, you know, again, that was with writing and that was a huge advantage to that. You know, something else I'd say to my friends with kids is I love sleeping in. (laughs) So flexibility of your day. You know, but it's just kind of time, advantages of being single are time to invest in yourself. It's time to spend with people that are important to you, with family. 
So if you can fly and see family, or if you can schedule dinners to see family, that's more important than just a loose acquaintance who's maybe very well connected, but who is still a loose acquaintance that you're trying to stay in good favor with or to try to make as a contact. And so I learned what's more important in life. Whereas in my 20s and my younger years, I just wanted to be impulsive and to do what was fun. And so that wasn't, you know, everybody does that. But at least when you're older, you can have more deeper, more rewarding connections, more rewarding projects that you can work on. And so, yeah, so those were definitely advantages. And I could also, you know, stay with friends a lot easier to have that flexibility. I got extremely close with one of my friends, Katie, and she and I would just spend the weekends together. So I would work and then I would be in between deadlines and she and I would just be like, hey, what do you want to do? And that was really nice. It was kind of like my nostalgic college days where I got like an escape and it was really carefree um, on the weekends where we could feel like, you know, we could do whatever we wanted. We could go out at the restaurants or we could, you know, take a weekend and go somewhere. And so it's just important to spend time with the friends who matter and the people who matter. And that meant the most to me for sure. That's true. You do have so much more perspective. I mean, thinking about how I prioritize things in my 20s versus my 30s is is pretty radical. Well, I think so much of what you have said is like so many good nuggets have come out of this interview. And, and I'd love if you could share where people can find your book and connect with you on social media or your website. And I'll put all of these links in the show notes here. Yeah. So the name's Lisa Cleary, which also is my website, lisacleary.com and it's C-L-E-A-R-Y.com. And my book is linked through that website. The book is How to Survive a Breakup When All of Your Friends Are Birthing Their Second Child. So as you can see, it's a funny title. It's not the next great American novel, but it's something that (laughs) will definitely make you laugh. And that book's also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo. And my social media on Instagram is at Lisa Cleary 3, and it's the number 3. So all of that, again, is linked under my website. Perfect. So yeah. And I'll have the link. I'll have the, yeah, I'll have the link in the show notes too. Well, thank you so much, Lisa, for taking the time to, to talk with me and share your story. And thank you for normalizing this, this topic and speaking about it. I think it's hugely important. And so I'm so excited to see what you do next. Well, thanks so much. And I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you loved it, I hope you'll leave a review and share with your friends. If you're not already following me on Instagram, head to at your breakup bestie where I'm sharing new content almost every day. To join our Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with thousands of people from all over the world going through breakups, head to the link in the show notes. And don't forget to check out my online courses for more in-depth help through your healing journey. I always end these episodes the same way, reminding you to be nice to yourself, stay connected with loved ones, and the biggest reminder is that this too shall pass. I promise. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.